Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 19, and if you would like to take out uh, the outline, the message outline, it's part of your program there. Maybe take some notes as we go along. For a couple of months now, we've been in uh, this, the Gospel of Luke, studying through the Gospel of Luke. Hopefully you've been reading through it almost on a daily basis, and today is Palm Sunday. You knew that, right? Today is Palm Sunday, and we're, we're going to look at uh, the, the story in Luke 19 where Jesus, the, that first Palm Sunday, where Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem. Just this past week, I was talking with someone. Uh, actually, I was inviting them to church, and uh, he's a friend, and, and I know they don't go to church. I was just you know, saying, hey, it's Holy Week, it's Palm Sunday, and then Easter. And, and he said, Palm Sunday, what's that? And, and so I took a moment and kind of explained what Palm Sunday was, and, 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 and he said, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. And so maybe you're here today and you don't really quite know what Palm Sunday is, or even what Holy Week is, what it's about. So, so let's kind of unpack that this morning. Uh, so in Luke 19, beginning in verse 28, and uh, by the way, I just want to say thank you again for your generous offering for Honduras. Uh, you know that uh, uh, the day after Easter, that first week of April, uh, 13 of us actually this year are going to be heading off again to Honduras to our sister church in Borbaton, and uh, we're excited to go. We were asking you for, I think, around $5,600, and you gave over $7,000. So just thank you so much for that, that offering. We're going to build a house for a widow. We're going to uh, put concrete floors in four homes that currently have dirt floors. Uh, we're going to do a variety of, of other things as well. And uh, thanks to you for your generosity for helping that to happen. Uh, right now, you'll actually see an insert in your program uh, asking for some donations for us to take with us to Honduras. There's all kinds of things there, toothbrushes. There's all kinds of things that we will actually take with us to Honduras and give to the poor uh, there in, in Borbatone. So I encourage you to, uh, uh, to, to donate uh, what you can. I think uh, you need to bring it in by, by end of day this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. So let's talk about Palm Sunday. Uh, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse... 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus had just been in Jericho, and I uh, almost wish I had a map for you right here, but uh, Jericho is down near the Jordan River, just north of the Dead Sea, and it is like desert area, and it is hot, and Jericho is the lowest city uh, in the world and the oldest city in the world. It's incredible. And remember Jericho, a lot of things happened in Jericho. Uh, remember Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus happened in Jericho. And it happens in this chapter right before uh, what we're going to read here. And Jesus now has been making his way up from Jericho, and the elevation is incredible. Jericho is, uh, is like the lowest point on earth right next to the Dead Sea there, and, and Jerusalem is extremely high elevation. So Jesus is going up and up and up and up, and he's coming over uh, into Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. 
Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So Jesus is kind of getting the red carpet treatment here. They're, they're putting down their, their coats and their cloaks on, on, on the road, and Jesus is riding over them, coming down this hill. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, now you just saw a picture of that road in, in, in the video. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. I, I have been to Israel now three times, and I've actually had the privilege of walking on this road. And some of you have been there with me. And so you can picture this site. They're on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Temple Mount, and then this particular road coming down, a very steep road coming down into the Kidron Valley and then up to the Temple Mount. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are kind of offended. Like, hey, they're making all this to-do about you, Jesus. Tell them to, to stop it. And Jesus says, hey, even if they were to stop the stones, nature itself couldn't contain itself. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Now, this is the phrase we're going to focus on this morning. So we'll come back to this in just a moment. But catch this. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Picture this. Jesus is weeping. The crowds, the crowds are waving their palm branches. Now, Luke specifically doesn't mention palm branches. You say, why do we call it Palm Sunday? Well, Luke, he just says that they put their cloaks on the, on the ground. But if you go over to the Gospel of John, who also records this event, he says people were also cutting leafy branches and palm branches, and they were waving their palm branches in the air. So picture this, thousands of people all around. Remember, this is the beginning of Passover week for the Jewish people in Jesus' day. And, and so there were tens of thousands, some say there were like a million people there uh, during this week because Jewish people would come even as far away as Rome and come back to Jerusalem for this holy week of, of Passover. And so the crowds are there, but 
But so Jesus has just performed some miracles. He, the raising of Lazarus from the dead and healing the, the blind and the lame and, and all of these miracles. And so all of these people and the word is out about Jesus and here he's coming and, and they're waving their palm branches and they're cheering him on. And in the midst of all of this celebration, Jesus weeps. Everybody else is happy. Huge crowds. Everybody else is celebrating. Jesus cries. Why? Why does he cry? Three times in the Gospels, we see Jesus crying. Jesus cried at the grave of Lazarus over in John 11. Those were tears of sympathy. You know, when a loved one dies, you cry, right? It's normal, it's natural. We should cry when a loved one dies. Some of you are widows and widowers. And my heart goes out to you. Maybe it's just been a year or two years or ten years. And, and you, you, you still at, at times just cry for that loss and, and that grief. Jesus understood that. And he cried tears of, of sympathy. And then when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wept tears of agony. Remember over in Luke 22 and in Hebrews 5, as Jesus prayed and cried in the Garden of Gethsemane, tears rolled down his face and, and his sweat became as drops of blood. Have you ever cried out to God in just spiritual agony? Like, God, this is too tough. God, this is so hard. My God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understands those kinds of tears of agony. So he cried tears of sympathy, tears of agony, but here in Luke 19, what we see are tears of disappointment. Tears of of disappointment. Jesus is standing at the peak of the Mount of Olives, and, and you saw some of the pictures right there. Some of us have actually been there, and you're overlooking that valley, the Kidron Valley, and that, that mount, you're on the Mount of Olives here, and you, and you can look across the way and see the, the temple and the Temple Mount and, and the, the city of Jerusalem there. And, and, and Jesus is, is viewing all of this, and everybody is cheering him, and everybody's praising him. The crowd is happy, and Jesus looks at all this, and he begins to cry. Why? Because his heart is broken. Tears of disappointment. He knows underneath all of that celebration and all the waving of the palm branches, he knows what's really going on and he knows what's really going to happen. And this is what I want us to focus on this morning. Jesus cried. And sometimes, you know what? You should cry and I should cry. This is why the title this morning is A Time for Tears. We enter into this Holy Week and really this is a time for tears. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, is a time for joy and a time for celebration, but right now, it's a time for tears. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe with all my heart that the Christian life is supposed to be one of joy. Over in Philippians, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Jesus said in John 15, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I believe with all of my heart that most of us Christian people, we do not experience the kind of joy that Jesus wants us to. One of the greatest witnesses that we can give as Christians 
Christians and as congregations is to be people of joy so that the world in all of its sadness and all of its lostness and pessimism can see our joy in Christ and be attracted to that. But at the same time, there, there is a time for tears. You see, what breaks the heart of Jesus should break our hearts. What Jesus cries over, you and I should cry over. What disappoints Jesus should disappoint you and me. What Jesus cares about, we should care about. I I want us to see here in Luke 19 three reasons why Jesus wept and why you and I should weep today. The first thing we see here is that Jesus wept over fake religion. Jesus wept over fake religion. Let's look at it again. Go back to verse 37. Let's look at at it again. In verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're quoting some of the Old Testament messianic psalms. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Talk about an exciting worship service. Talk about, I mean, the crowds are just huge and, and people are cheering and waving and, and it was like electric and just, oh man, it, it was just an exciting worship service. And, and, and yet, Jesus understood that for many of them, it was fake. It was superficial. He knew that many of the same people waving their palm branches on Sunday and, and saying, blessed is he who comes, hail the king of the Jews, they, would be saying, nail him, crucify him on Friday. They were cheering him on Sunday, and they would be spitting on him on Friday. Their worship was fake. Their worship was shallow, and Jesus knew it. That's why he cries. There were two kinds of people in the crowd that day that that are really still with us today, and I wonder, and, and, and I cry. I cry because sometimes I have these two kinds of that people are still with us today. Some of the people, first of all, were irreligious. Irreligious. They, they didn't really believe. They, they were not committed. They did not have faith. They, they liked the miracles. They liked following Jesus. And, you know, on two occasions, he, he had miracles of fish and chips. Remember that? And so, so they're, they're just following him around and, and getting some free food and, and enjoying the excitement of watching him perform miracles. And, but they were basically irreligious. They didn't really believe. They, they, weren't, they weren't committed. They had no intention of really following Jesus and obeying Jesus and changing their lives. Maybe you. Maybe you're, even though you're in church here to, this morning, maybe you are irreligious. You don't really believe. You have a vague sense of some higher power maybe, but you're not committed to Jesus Christ. You haven't changed your life or your behavior, your beliefs or your values one little whit to follow Jesus. I know people who say they're Christians and yet they sleep around. I know people who say they're Christians and they smoke pot or they drink too much or they think porn is okay. And they do all kinds of things contrary to the teachings of Christ. And I think, really? Can I really be a follower of Jesus Christ? Can I wave my palm branch around and say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, 
and, and can I celebrate him with my palm branch on Palm Sunday and then go out and live like the devil on Monday? Really? So I, I want you to just pause right now, and I want you to examine your own heart right now. Would you do this? Would you just examine your own heart right now? Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You hear that? Jesus says, I never knew you. Does Jesus know you? He said, well, Greg, I was raised in the church. My parents are Christians. My grandparents are Christians. Well, that's, that's nice, but what about you? Do you know Jesus? Does Jesus know you? Jesus might say, I know your parents. I know your grandparents, but I don't know you. The sad truth is that it's possible for you to be a baptized pagan And Jesus weeps for you. And I I weep for you. Jesus weeps for the irreligious. They're waving their palm branches, but they don't really believe. They're not committed. They have no interest really in following him. But there's another group Jesus cried for that day. Jesus cried for the religious. You say, what? Yes, the religious. Jesus cries for the religious. They were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, all kinds of religious leaders, and they were religious. They had their rules and rituals and regulations, and all they followed it all so meticulously. They knew their Bibles. They, but they were so self-righteous so unloving and really very self-centered. And the truth of the matter is they were actually using their religiosity and their religious game to justify themselves and to earn their own salvation and to just look good and gain the applause of people around them. They really did not know Jesus. They did not really know God and have the love of God in their hearts. I want you to pause right now. I want you to examine yourself. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. On the outside, you might seem so moral and so nice, and you might be doing all the right things, and you are so religious You read your Bible. You might even tithe. And you're checking off all of the religious boxes, just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did. And you might have everybody fooled, and they might look at you and go, my goodness, what fine Christian people. But you know, and God knows, that you don't know him. And he doesn't really know you. If push came to shove, you would say, I'm going to make it to heaven because I'm such a good person and I'm checking off all the boxes and I'm buying my way and serving my way and giving my way into the kingdom. 
And you look so respectable and so moral, but you've never humbled yourself. You've never confessed your sins. You haven't fallen completely on Jesus Christ. And I tell you, I believe on this Palm Sunday, Jesus looks down at congregations all across this land, and he's crying because he sees so many people faking it. Are you faking it? I weep for you. I cry for you. you. You don't have to live that way. Which leads us to the second reason that Jesus cried. Not only did Jesus cry over fake religion, but he cried secondly over missed opportunities. He cried over missed opportunities. Look at what he says in verses 41 and 42. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace... But now it is hidden from your eyes. What an opportunity. He's saying, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. What an opportunity, Jesus is saying. The Jewish people had been waiting for their Messiah for centuries, and here is the day. This is the day. This is the hour. This is the moment. Their Messiah is riding in on a donkey and a humble little donkey and 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 he says here i am i am your messiah and and they're they're cheering and celebrating yet many of them were fake and jesus knew it and he they were going to miss their opportunity jesus says if you even you had only known on this day this day right now what would bring you peace this was their defining moment And they missed it. You know, I've had people say, well, Greg, I want to enjoy my life first. (laughs) I want to have some fun for a while, and I'll receive Christ later on. I want to go to heaven someday when I die, but in the meantime, I want to have a lot of fun. So I'll just kind of put that up. Don't you dare think that way. You have no guarantee about tomorrow. Your opportunity today might pass and never come again. Today is your day of opportunity. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice. No guarantee you will hear his voice tomorrow. When Jesus is tugging on your heart and the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and drawing you to himself, today, right now, You dare not put that off. Today is your day of opportunity. Opportunity can pass. I've seen young men and young women killed in car accidents or die of cancer, all sorts of things, and they missed their opportunity. Don't you dare procrastinate. Today is your opportunity. I was just talking with someone earlier before the service that, that I, I have seen young people say, well, when I get older, I'm going to have fun now. I'm going to live, up, live it up now, and which that, that whole line of reasoning is just crazy to begin with. But, but they, they think, when I get older. But then I see so many older people that are so hardened in their ways that they find it almost impossible to change. Hebrews 3 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart 
that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, your today, your opportunity, you had it and it passed. God gives you another opportunity and it's today, but you missed it. You keep putting it off. You keep procrastinating. And what you don't realize is that over the days and over the years, your character and your personality becomes set and becomes hardened until it's almost too late for you to change, even if you were to hear his voice. Jesus wept over missed opportunities. Maybe you have a neighbor or a friend or a coworker, and you've been thinking, you know, I really need to share my faith with them. I, I, I really should invite them to church. I should build a relationship with them and try to build a bridge for them to come to know Jesus. And you never quite get around to it. Jesus weeps over our missed opportunities. He wept over fake religion. And then there's a third reason that Jesus wept on that, that first Palm Sunday. He wept over needless judgment. He wept over needless judgment. Look at verse 43. And 44. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Do you know that Jesus' words literally came true in 70 A.D., roughly 40 years after Jesus spoke these words? In 70 A.D., the Roman army marched into Jerusalem and destroyed it. You saw in my brief video there some huge stones that they, the Romans had, had thrown off of, that, off of the temple, and they came crashing down alongside the Temple Mount. That's why Jesus was weeping. He knew that this judgment was coming. In 70 A.D., the Roman general Titus led his army into Jerusalem. They surrounded Jerusalem, and they laid siege to the city. You know what to lay siege is? It means that the army just encamps all around, circles the city, so that no one can come in, no one can get out. And it strikes utter panic and fear into all those within. And they, they, they know they're trapped. They know it's a matter of time. And they kind of just wait them out for a while, depending on what, how the psychological games they want to do, until the people get good and hungry, maybe start running out of water and food, and, and they just get more panicky. So they laid siege to Jerusalem, and finally then the army uh, breached the walls. They, they, they came in. And they, they made crosses. In fact, they ran out of wood. They kept making so many crosses and crucifying so many of the Jewish people that they ran out of trees. They cut down all the trees all around Jerusalem and, and, and until there were like no more trees left to make another cross to crucify one more Jewish person. This happened in 70 A.D. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the buildings. And in their fury, because the Jews would not surrender even then, they, they, they did what conquerors do, would do at that time. They sowed the city with salt. They took all this like salt-like content and they just poured it all over the ground and plowed it into the ground so that nothing would grow. And Jesus knew that this judgment was coming. And he, and he weeps. 
And he says, oh, Jerusalem, this doesn't have to happen. It's needless judgment. Only if you had known the time of God's coming to you. Only if you had known on this day what would bring you peace. Josephus, one of the historians of that time, said that upwards of a million Jewish people were killed. Listen, I know this makes us uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about this. But judgment is a major theme of Jesus in the Bible. There is a judgment day. There is judgment in the future, and there's even judgment in our lives now. And you say, well, Greg, you see, this is why I'm not a Christian. Or this is one of the things I hate about Christianity. I can't stand this talk about a judgmental God who threatens people, scares people, that if they don't turn to him, then, then he's going to just judge them and, and kill them and all this viciousness. I, I don't like that kind of God. I can't believe that kind of thing. No, no, you have it wrong. Don't you see? Jesus is not gloating. He's not threatening. He, he's not trying to scare us. He's crying. He's crying. He's weeping. He's saying it doesn't have to be this way. He's saying if you only knew what would make for peace, if you would only recognize me and receive me into your life. And when, what I want you to see right here is it, it really cannot be any other way. Because when you reject God, when you reject Jesus, you are rejecting the source of life. When you reject Jesus, you are rejecting the source of love. So there's no way you can have life and love and not Jesus because he is the creator and sustainer of life and love. So people who say, well, I believe in love and I, I believe in life and, and I want to have all this but forget you, it just, you can't have it because he's the creator of it and he's the sustainer of it. So you know what hell is? Hell is where you have no life and no love because you've stubbornly rejected Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? I believe that what makes Jesus weep should make us weep. And I ask you, on this Palm Sunday, beginning of Holy Week, do you cry over fake religion? So many people pretend to be Christians, but they don't have God's love in their hearts. They're not the least bit concerned to obey and sacrifice and give and love the way Jesus wants them to. Do you cry over fake religion? Do you cry over missed opportunities? When's the last time you, you cried over a friend or a neighbor or even a family member who was not saved? Do you believe that there's such a thing as hell? How many opportunities to share your faith have you missed because you're just too busy or too afraid? I think Jesus weeps over our missed opportunities. Do you cry over needless judgment? I'm not asking you this morning just to work up some big fake crocodile tears. I'm, I'm just asking us to open up to the Spirit of God. God. 